Deuteronomy, we're going to try to cover chapter 29 and 30. Moses, the great deliverer of Israel, he's given a task, he's given a duty, and he's to convey to Israel how good God has been to them. Oftentimes, uh, when we try to tell somebody how good we are to them, they will turn a deaf ear to us, like our children. Yeah. You can't tell a child how good you are to them. They go, yeah, yeah, Dad, gotcha. But Moses is required by God to read and then reread the law. And they would sometimes stand for hours as the law was read to them. And I'm thinking, wow, that's endurance. (laughs) And the book of Deuteronomy, the entire book is one giant warning, one giant reminder of, uh, of God speaking to Israel that you are my people. And Israel is to love and appreciate God and His goodness to them. We're never to lose sight of God's goodness to us. So as I study and as we near the end of Deuteronomy, I attempt to bring this book alive, make it current, uh, and bring it more or less up-to-date, how does it apply to our lives today? And I, some, I struggle with this a little bit. I struggle how to make it alive to you and to myself. So I try to challenge you and I challenge myself. And I try to remind us to be thankful, to be grateful to, to Jesus for simply being our good Shepherd, You ever think on that? We have a good shepherd. He provides for our needs. And I have observed over the years, show you how deep a thinker I am, that God blesses me and my family as much as he can. He does. God blesses us just as much as our hearts will allow him and our souls will allow him Because God does want us to prosper, but he wants us to prosper spiritually also. It's not just a materialistic blessing. And Moses is given the duty to explain God's law to his people, Israel, and how the law is the best thing for them. So let's look at chapter 29 of Deuteronomy, and we'll read the first four verses. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make the children of Israel in the land of Moab besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. Now Moses called all of Israel and said to them, You have seen all the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his servants, and to all his land. The great trials which your eyes have seen, the signs and the great wonders... Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. 
Moses is saying, you still don't get it. You still don't understand. Moses, he has reminded the people, you have been eyewitnesses to what God did to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. One of the greatest uh, series of signs and miracles ever in the Old Testament, these people were eyewitnesses to them. The great signs, the great wonders, and through, and God says, and yes, there was a lot of trials, but I delivered you. And then verse 4, but, however, therefore, whatever, you still do not understand. You do not know what a great deliverer that you have in our God. Perhaps you're like me sometimes, and I, I will marvel sometimes why more people do not turn to Christ. You know, what's the big deal of giving over all your sins and frustrations to a Lord that will forgive you and give you heaven? What's wrong with that exchange? And many people read the Bible, uh, and they're not a believer, and they do not comprehend what the Word says. 1 Corinthians 2.14 But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. God's Word is spiritual, and it is spiritually discerned. I've had uh, what I call marginal believers say to me, well, Scripture can be interpreted uh, in many different ways. Unfortunately, that's a true statement, but it's not a correct statement, for there is only one correct interpretation to Scripture. Only one. God didn't try to make it difficult, but he did speak to believers. Second Peter one twenty. Peter tells us, no foretelling, no prophecy of God's word is for private interpretation. Don't gather yourselves to a person who says, well, I have this secret interpretation or information from Scripture. Bah humbug. You know, just not true. Second Timothy 3.16 all scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for inspiration in righteousness. As a believer, oftentimes we have discernment that the world doesn't have on the events that are taking place around us, even political events. I've become so political within the last year, and I think it's because uh, politics are just really irritating me to the point of no return. And, and I've become really conscious of what our politicians are doing and saying and trying to promote. But events that appear logical, they appear practical to the secular mind out there, 
God will sometimes allow us to see behind the scene and see the motive of it. And the motive many times is evil. It's that simple. But God, through his wisdom, he gives us discernment of the unseen powers that are worked behind the scene. Whether they be powers that are good or evil. Now, I'm patriotic to the bone. That means you cut me, I bleed red, white, and blue. But some of our politicians, some of our leaders, elected leaders, are as evil as can be. It's that simple. And I don't want to leave out any here, like our Supreme Court, or other judges, and that, you know, who just pass down evil decisions. And it's kind of startling when you talk to a young person because young person, they're, they're not jaded by the world usually quite as much as us older folks are. And I once told a young athlete, all the bad guys are not on the other team. Not all the bad leaders are in other countries. Moses, he's led Israel for 40 years. He knows them, and he's come to a critical decision, and it's in verse 4 of Deuteronomy 29. God has not given Israel a heart to perceive, nor eyes to see or ears to hear. Moses fully recognizes for them to have discernment, to perceive, to understand comes from God, and God has not done that work in their heart yet. As Christians, we are to pray for understanding and discernment from God because we need it. This is just uh, something personal, but I think God gives every pastor discernment. I think that's one of the gifts we get. I don't think we're supposed to be deceived or fooled by everything that comes down the pike. And I think God gives the gift of discernment to pastors. I really believe that. So I know you guys. Mm, I do. Uh, but we're to pray for understanding. You know, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. But Moses, he, he moves on. He's reminding Israel Here's what God requires of you, Israel. So let's read verses 5 through 9 of chapter 29. And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn out on your feet. You have not eaten, you have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or similar drink, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And when you came to this place, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Basham, came out against us to battle, and we conquered them. We took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, to the Gadonites, and half tribe of Manasseh. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. Israel... They're about to enter the promised land, and they are a great multitude. 
some say there's many as two million, two and a half million of them. And they have multiplied even more since leaving Egypt. The wilderness for 40 years has been their home. Their clothes have not worn out, nor have their sandals. That's kind of amazing, considering that Israel walks everywhere that they go, and their sandals have not worn out. You parents know that kids will outgrow their shoes. They will lose one shoe, and you got to get two. But without a doubt, they go through a lot of shoes. My oldest son, he would destroy shoes. You'd look at it, you, you know, they'd be a week old, and then you'd look at it. What have you done to those shoes? <laughs> and uh, he just had a way with them. Clumsy, I guess. But anyway, but Israel for 40 years, same sandals. Same old shirt, same old tunic. And God has been faithful to supply all their food that they need. It's been manna once in a while. You know, get a few quail and other uh, meats, but manna has been the staple of their diet. And they didn't die of thirst out in the desert. Consider that. They're out in the desert. Millions of them, and they don't die of thirst. God provides miraculously for Israel in a barren wilderness for 40 years. You're a parent. You know the responsibility you have to fulfill the basic needs of your children, uh, and you provide for them. But God provided for Israel 40 years out in the wilderness. It might not have been everything you wanted. They complained they wanted the leeks, the cucumbers, and all of this. But their provision was there for 40 years. God has been the good shepherd to Israel for a long time. And here's how Israel came out of Egypt. They weren't trained in to do anything except be a slave. They had no military training whatsoever. There were no soldiers. There were no weapons to, to give to their soldiers if they had soldiers. Yet Israel conquered Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Basham, and they conquered them in battle. They took their land. And this is land that was east of the Jordan River. Israel logically should have never existed as a people, but God prospered them. And he prospered them greatly. And he will continue to prosper Israel if they will keep the words of his covenant. God has revealed his desire for Israel Israel knows God's desire. God's desire is that they fulfill this covenant of law for them and for their children. And so let's look at chapter 30, and we'll read the first 10 verses. 
Now it came to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and you call to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children with all your hearts and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity. That's a prophecy there. And they have and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the furthest parts under the heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possess, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you, multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Also, the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you. And you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do his commandments, which I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abound in the work of your hands and in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again Rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in the book of the law, and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, in other words, turn to God and he will prosper you. God promises a great blessing for Israel if it's conditional, if they are obedient and will receive the blessings that were pronounced from Mount Gershom. There is a big if. If Israel will turn to the Lord their God with all their heart and soul, God requires that we love him in return. How? Completely. And you can't fake it. I think the biggest challenge that we have as Christians once we're in God's kingdom is to make him Lord of our lives in all that we do. But verse 6 of Deuteronomy 30 tells us what God will do. And the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. God promises to circumcise the hearts of his people. To circumcise is to cut away the flesh of a male baby. We won't get into the graphics of it. This was usually done by an Israeli father on the eighth day of the child's life. Circumcision was never to be done by a Gentile. Today, Jews use what is called a moel. And the baby is usually given his name upon this circumcision ceremony on the eighth day. Now, 
cutting away of the flesh. Flesh in Scripture represents sin. It's that plain. And God will be faithful to circumcise our hearts, cut away our desires to indulge in sinful activity if we will allow him. He promises to do that for us. Lustful passions and temptation, they're the, mump, they're the stumbling block of many Christians. They're the stumbling block of our society. Lustful passions. There have been studies conducted by sociologists of, of young men and their thought patterns concerning sex. Hundreds of times per day, they have thoughts of sex. And it crosses the mind on a 24-7 basis. Advertisers use these lustful images to try to lure us into buying beer, boats, cars, and the latest one, even hamburgers. Have you seen the Carl's Jr. advertisements? My daughter will not eat at a Carl's Jr. that are big out in California because of their commercials. Good for her. <laughs> but anyway, there's a saying in advertising, sex sells. But hamburgers? Makes you wonder. But circumcision is important to God. It was important to him in his covenant with Israel, including the very first Jew who was Abraham. Let me read you Genesis 17, 9 through 13. It just talks about this covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep. Between me and you and your descendants after you, every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generation, he who is born in your father's house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with money, you must circumcise. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. God is serious about this especially with the Jewish people. Circumcision is a seal of, of a covenant between Abraham, the father of the Jews, and God. Now let's fast forward. That was with Abraham, but it was an everlasting covenant. Let's now fast forward to Moses. And Bear in mind, Moses writes this account about himself. Moses, he's received his marching orders from God through being at the burning bush. And Moses is being obedient to God. 
He is on his way back down into Egypt, and he's taken his wife Zipporah and his sons. And then we have three verses that are in the middle of chapter 4 of Exodus that totally seem out of place. So turn to Exodus 4, and we'll read those three verses. Exodus 4, we're looking at verses 24 through 26. Right in the middle of Moses going down to Egypt, we have this. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him, met Moses and seeks to kill him. Then Zipporah, Moses' wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So the angel let him go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. This may sound... Uh, seem a little strange, but let me set the scene just a little bit for you. Zipporah is not a Jew. She is a Midianite. Circumcision was not part of the culture of the Midianites. Moses is on his way down to Egypt, and he is to tell Pharaoh, your son's life, Pharaoh, depends on you obeying God. But Moses himself has not been obedient to God and with his regarding his own son and regarding circumcision. And now the angel of the Lord meets with Moses along the way and he seeks to kill Moses. Enter Zipporah, Moses' wife. Circumcision has been an issue between Moses and Zipporah For Zipporah knows instantly what to do to save the life of her husband. This angel has met Moses, and he's met Moses to kill him. That's kind of drastic. (laughs) And he leaves no doubt in the minds of Moses and Zipporah why he is there. He's there to kill Moses. Zipporah instantly circumcises Gershom, their son. But with bitterness, she now casts the foreskin at Moses' feet, declaring to Moses, you are a husband of blood to me. We don't know this for sure, but this angel that's there to kill Moses, perhaps, perhaps, he's got Moses in a stranglehold with a knife at his neck. Some way, somehow, Zipporah knows her husband is about to be killed by this angel. So she instantly circumcises Gershom, and uh, this satisfies the angel's desire to kill Moses. And then we read Moses continues on his way down to Egypt. But God has spoken to Moses in a very graphic way here, and he's speaking to us in a very graphic way. 
Moses, you're going to die right here, right now, if you're not willing to put into practice my covenant. I'm going to take your life, Moses. And guess what? Zipporah understands this probably as well as Moses does, for she instantly circumcises their son. But this requirement by God for the covenant is troublesome to Zipporah. And she says, Moses, you and your God and your religion, they are, they're just more than I can bear. You're, you know, you're troublesome to me, Moses. And because it was troublesome to Zipporah, God backs off and lets Moses be disobedient. No, no, not for a moment. God doesn't justify it. He doesn't ever justify his commands to us. He says, obey my commands. And Moses is this close to being killed for his disobedience. And both he and Zipporah know this. I do not want God to make a point of me being obedient to him with a knife to my throat. God has called Moses to himself. He says, Moses, you're to be my deliverer. You're to go down and you're to tell Pharaoh the very words that I tell you. And it will come about that you will even tell Pharaoh that his son is going to die because he's disobedient. But Moses, you have to be obedient first. You have to learn to obey. I have a responsibility similar to Moses in this regard. I can talk to you people. I can urge you to obey God. And I want to do that. I can try to be an example of obedience in my own life. And I want to be. But never assume that obedience is an option. We're required to be obedient. God would not let Moses go down to Egypt until he was obedient to God himself first. And God uses circumcision. And I long for the day in my own life when my heart is totally circumcised unto the Lord. Where there is no more desire to sin or temptation to sin. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father, let us never assume that your commands are arbitrary. Give us that circumcised heart, Lord, that desires and wants to be obedient to you. Lord, you've got Moses' attention. You've got Zipporah's attention. And we want you to get our attention. Not that we want to be 
live under the threat of death, but we do want to be obedient to you, Lord. For you've shown yourself to be a good God. You've proven time and again that you want to bless us. You want to be uh, prosperous. You want to go before us preparing a way that we can walk in obedience to you. So help us, Lord, to do that. And Lord, we, we don't want to be like Zipporah, who was bitter at you and Moses for enforcing this covenant. We want to gladly accept the covenants of your law in our lives. So help us to love you, Lord. Give us your spirit that responds to your love towards us. And we want to turn to you with our whole heart. We want to see you pour out your blessings upon us because we're obedient. That's our desire, Lord. So go before us and be with us. And we pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.